Well, good morning, everyone. God bless you. It's great to be in God's house, isn't it? Let me take care of some business before we get started here. How many of you have got your little note sheet? Make sure you get it out. Grab a pencil or pen someplace because I'll help you fill in the blanks because you're going to want to keep this and you're going to want to use it. So I encourage you to go along with me today. I'll try to help you as much as I can. Um, if you're not on my newsletter mailing list, I want to encourage you to get on my mailing list. I send out a monthly newsletter. It's usually one page like this. Got pictures, photos, where we've been, what we're doing. Tells you some of the stories about what's going on and lets you know how you can pray. So I encourage you, if you're not already on my mailing list, please pick up one of these. My uh, email address is at the bottom, in the box at the bottom, on the back of the, of the newsletter, and you can email me your, your home mailing address, and because uh, that's I send this by regular mail. So please do that if you'd like to be on our mailing list. Yes, they're, they're on a table over here by the coat closet. I've also got some other newsletters. Please feel free to take one. Every little stack is a different month. And actually, the June newsletter is already out there. So, um, And also, some of my business cards are out there. My email address is also on those, if that'll help you any. Um, if you have your Bibles, please get them out today. Jeff's already prayed, so we're going to go ahead and get started. I want to be very careful with the time, because I know we have another service coming in yet today. Uh, John Wisely, Wesley, John Wisely, yeah. John Wesley, the great evangelist and founder of the Methodist movement, once made this statement. He said, God does nothing on earth except for an answer to prayer. Now, if that is true, then let me suggest this. Knowing how to co cooperate with God, knowing how to cooperate with God in prayer is perhaps the greatest responsibility. That's the first answer in your outline. Is perhaps the greatest responsibility and privilege given to the believer. The greatest responsibility and the greatest privilege that's given to the believer. If we truly believe that the outcome to every circumstance and situation in our lives and the very purposes of God here on earth was dependent entirely upon our individual prayer life, I think it would make prayer warriors out of every one of us, don't you? Amen. Amen? Yep. So if that is the case, then we should be very interested in how we can pray and be more effective. What I'm going to share with you today is something that has revolutionized the way I pray. And I've already seen tremendous results, and I'm going to give you a couple examples of that today before I'm done. So I want to encourage you to really listen closely to what I'm going to share today, because I think it'll make a huge difference in the number of prayers that you see answers to. Is that a good idea? Amen. I mean, how many want to get an answer to your prayer? You know, we all do, don't we? Okay, so, but sadly, you know, most people believe that God's going to do whatever he wants to do, so why pray? But that's just not the case. The scripture is very clear. Matthew 6.10, this scripture is not in your notes, so please mark it down. Matthew 6.10 comes from the Lord's Prayer. It's a part of the Lord's Prayer. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, here is what we commonly call the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, but actually it's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It was not his prayer. It's what he wanted us to pray. 
And if you'll notice that part that I just read there, that verse is telling us to ask that God's will would be done on earth. All right, so there is a key here. There's an important thing for us to realize. Prayer, and this is in your outline. Prayer is your word, your key word there you want to put in your notes. Prayer releases God's power to accomplish his will on earth. Prayer is the key, but release is also a key word. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says this, And this is the confidence that we have in him. If, and note the condition here, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition we desire of him. So receiving from God here is conditioned on two things. First, we've got to ask. And secondly, we have to ask according to his will. So every time I pray, I ask God, your will be done in this situation. And I'm releasing you to do this, to have your will in this situation. Now that means I don't always get what I want. But I also pray, Lord, give me what is best. In the Psalms, it says that God will help us to choose what is best. So I always ask God, give me what is best. You know what is best for me. Sometimes I ask for things that I think is best for me or that I want or that I think I need. But would you rather have what you think or would you rather have what God knows is best for you? Okay, so remember that. When you pray, release him to have his will in your situation, in your circumstance here on earth, and ask him to make sure he gives you what is best for that situation and circumstance. It may not be what you're looking for. Okay. Um, So, when we ask according to his will, we are releasing God to accomplish his will in every situation. That's a fill in the blank for you. We are releasing God to accomplish his will in every situation of life. Zechariah 10.1 says, Ask ye of the Lord, reign in the time. Notice that, in the time. If you've got your Bibles, underline that. In the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. Here we see that there is a right time to ask. The meaning here is that there is a strategic or an opportune time, and this again, part of your outline, when God has prepared the situation and the opportune time has now come when God then waits for us to ask. All right, there's a scripture in the New Testament in one of the epistles that says that we are a special children, a special group. And what that word means there is that The presence of the Holy Spirit surrounds the believer. Whenever we walk in the Spirit, when you get up in the morning, you have a choice of how your day is going to go. You can get up and you can get dressed, showered, and do whatever you need to do and get ready and walk out the door. Never spend any time with God. Just I can do this day myself. I don't need God. I don't need to take time to ask God to be a part of my day. I just go do it myself. And you can. God lets you go do it yourself. You can have your way. And the Holy Spirit just quietly stays present in you, but waits for you to release him to do anything. So you're standing there, and the enemy's just 
wow, shooting his darts, and you're going, wow, oh, ooh, 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 that hurt, ooh. The enemy's having a field day because you didn't invite the Lord into your day. But if you're a spirit-filled Christian, you should get up every morning and invite the Holy Spirit to have his way in your life this day. I did that this morning before I came to church because I know I need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so I know the Holy Spirit's surrounding me. And as the enemy's throwing darts and any, anything at me, they're either bouncing off or if he allows it to come through, the scripture says that he tempers it. He limits it as to what it can do in my life. Sometimes he lets it come through because he knows that some trials, some trouble also pushes us closer to God, makes us pray even more often. And we need to do that. Amen? Amen. 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 So here is the key. We need to understand our asking releases. This is in your outline. Our asking releases God to do his will. So we might ask then, why has God established this need for us to ask him? One reason, I think, is that God desires relationship. In any healthy relationship, the parties of that relationship have got to communicate with each other. And the more we communicate with each other, the stronger the relationship usually becomes. So I think this is God's purpose and plan. He wants us to take time to communicate with him. He wants us to ask him for our daily needs. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're even asking him to, you know, give me today my daily bread, Lord. You know, he wants you to ask for everything you need simply because he wants you to acknowledge that everything that you are provided with does come from him and that you recognize that. Even the gifts and talents that you have are God-given. The talents that God has given you to earn uh, the income that you have is God-given. And he needs to be acknowledged and respected for that. So he wants to be. And he wants us to develop that relationship. He has established that he does nothing but in answer to prayer. Therefore, he wants us to talk to him and needs us to do so to release his provision in our life for our needs. You have not, it says in James 4, 2, because you what? Ask not. That's right. So he wants us to ask. All right, so to understand another reason behind the why of prayer, we need to go back to the beginning. So let's turn to the book of Genesis now in chapter 1, verse 26. Here it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And I've been all around different places around the earth, and there are a lot of creepy things on the earth that creep. <laughs> man comes, the word man comes from the word, same word that we use for Adam. And actually the meaning of the word means people or human beings. So in this passage, God is not just talking about Adam. He's talking about all of mankind, or what we might refer to as all of us Adamites. Because we all descend from Adam and Eve, so we are all Adamites. And God also uses the word image here. The word is telesim in the Hebrew. It means resemblance, a shadow, an illusion, or a phantom. In other words, Adam was so much like God that he was what we might refer to as being illusionary. 
so much like God that he was an illusion of God. Also in verse 26, he uses the word likeness. That's the Hebrew word demuth, which comes from the root word dema, which means to compare. And it's, it's the word from which we get our English word similar. So again, what he's trying to say here is that man is so similar to God that God created man. This is in your outline. God created man to be so much like himself that he is illusionary. He's like God. So again, we ask the question, why would he do this? Well, the answer lies, I think, in the fact that God wants a family. He wants children. He wants a family that he can have fellowship and commune with and relate to. He wants sons and daughters. And we are his sons and daughters who are in Jesus Christ. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, it says, For thou hast made him, and here it's talking about mankind, so don't get confused. It's talking about mankind. It says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now, in Genesis 1.26, and here again in Psalm 8.6, we see God use the word dominion. And the word dominion means, and this is in your outline, to put something under your feet. What it's talking about here is that God has given the Adamites the responsibility and the authority to govern the earth for him. Now, I want you to think about this, because this is the concept you've really got to get your head around in order to really pray effectively. God has chosen to relinquish his right to interfere in the affairs of the earth until we ask and release him to have his will in the situation. So God works through the presence of his spirit in our lives to prepare situations and then once he's got it prepared and it's the opportune time, he waits for us to ask and release him to have his will in the situation. If we don't ask, what does he do? He waits and he waits and he waits. And sometimes he never gets to do what he wants to do because we never ask and release him to do it. It's because he set up those parameters and he won't violate what he set up the parameters to be. The only thing God has said that he will do separately from that is that there are certain things he has foreordained will take place, like the coming of Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the second coming. These are things God has said, I am going to do and see that this accomplishes, gets accomplished. But everything else he has given us to do, his children. He's given us the authority. He's given us the responsibility that goes with it. It is a good word because it will change the way you pray and it will change the number of results that you see. I've already got evidence of this in my life. Okay, where am I at here? Uh, okay, in Psalm 8, 5, it says, we see God crowned Adam with glory and honor. The word glory is the word kabod. In Hebrew, it means heavy or weighted. It has to do with authority. 
what God is saying here is, is I'm putting my weight or my authority on you. He's giving us his authority. So when you pray, don't pray as some little weak, you know, I don't know anything. Pray as though you got authority. God says, I've put my weight on you. I've given you the authority. When you say something in my name, something's going to happen. God says his word will never return void. So if you pray and you pray God's word into a situation, you're releasing his authority. You're releasing his power. And it will make a difference. Your words are not just simply words. They are power and authority. Pray like you mean it. Pray like you believe it. <laughs> It'll make a difference. 1 Corinthians eleven seven says, For man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image. Here's your outline again. He is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. The Greek word for glory here in the New Testament is the word doxa. And listen to this. Catch what this says here. Now, this is kind of complicated, but I'm gonna, I'll read it twice for you. It says the appearance, doxa means the appearance of a person or thing that attracts attention and causes it to be recognized for what it really is. Let me say it again. It's the appearance of a person or a thing that attracts attention to itself and causes it to be recognized for what it really is. So what is God saying here? Again, this is in your outline. It says, God is saying, I want to be recognized in you and for you to represent me on the earth. So God is saying, look, I want my presence to be seen in and through you so that others will be drawn to me. I want you to be my representative on the earth. <clears throat> and I want others to know you're my representative. Now, if God wants other people to be drawn to him through us, then when we pray and release God to have his will in a situation, don't you think he's anxious to then do something that will so show everybody that God's working through your prayers? Amen, yes. And they get drawn to you because why do you get answers to prayers and I never get answers to prayer? And then you can tell them why. Because the Spirit of Christ lives in me. And you need the Spirit of Christ in you. But we have a problem. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the fact is we Adamites don't look like God very much anymore. Because of what? Because of sin. And that's in your outline. Because of sin. Thus we must be changed if we're going to represent God. And that's where 2 Corinthians 3.18 comes in. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. He's talking about changing us from our sin nature back into the glory of God, into the same image as he is. By the Spirit of the Lord. It's not something you or I can do. It's done by the Spirit of God. It's his work in us. So when we come 
and this is in your outline, as we come in faith to Christ, we are changed into his image and brought into the family of God where we can cry now, Abba, Father. He's my Father. He cares about me. He loves me. He knows what I have need of even before I ask. And he wants to meet my needs. He wants to show himself strong on behalf of those who love him. Amen. He wants us to love him. When I pray every day, I declare my love to God. And I declare his love for me. Because it's important that I remind myself, my Father in heaven loves me. And I love him. He put his weight on us. He gave us his authority. But so often we don't use it correctly. And so we don't see anything happen. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, the heaven, Even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Now the word given there does not imply ownership. Given in the psalm means, it comes from the Hebrew word Nathan, N-A-T-H-A-N. It means to put in charge. So what God is saying here is that he has put man in charge to govern the earth. And in your outline, the responsibility and the authority for what takes place on earth, God has given to us Adamites. Now let me show you how this works. Let's go to the next slide. I've been working, as Pastor shared, I've been working in Malawi. Um, we're in 20-some countries. I don't even know how many countries now. And more than 60-some locations. We have locations I don't even know about. And I'll share a little bit more of that with you a little later. But I, God's really drawn me to Malawi lately because it's, a, it's one of the 10 poorest countries in the world. Uh, people live on less than a dollar a day. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Uh, here you see some of our CTC graduates and some of the students that I've gone and helped to teach. And uh, one of the directors there, Stephen, his name is Stephen Tambuli. Stephen asked me, he says, Rev C, is it okay to let Muslims come to the training center? We've got a group of Muslims that want to come to the training center. So I thought about it for a little bit, and I said, yes, Stephen, let, let them come because they're seeking the truth, and we're teaching the truth. And if we teach the truth and they're seeking the truth, they're going to find the truth, and they're going to want the truth. And I said, the only thing I want you to be careful of is don't let the number of Muslims outnumber the number of believers. And so that was our only requirement. And all the Muslims that have come to the training center have all come to faith in Christ. Amen. Yeah, it's happened. And so God's been doing a work, and he's been using the training center among Muslims. And one of the things that happened was, let's go to the next slide. I was asked by Stephen if I'd be willing to go into the bush and, and share with a group of former Muslims who had come to faith in Christ. They were in an area where there was great persecution for Christians, so they had to leave themselves and left other families, friends, and everything and moved to another location where they were told there'd be less persecution. And so as a group, they bought this peanut field or bought this field and planted peanuts. And they were harvesting the peanuts and selling the peanuts and setting aside some of the money uh, to help someday build a church. And this is the church. 
that they had at the time that I first met them. And he, Stephen asked me if I would just go and share, if teach them for an hour or so. And so I did. We walked, we drove out there and got as close as we could. And then we had to get out of the car and walk for a ways until finally we came to the peanut field and uh, walked across. And next slide, please. And here I am teaching inside the building. This was their church, humble as it is. It was just poles and a thatch. That was all there was to it. You could see through the roof. And they sat, uh, the men sat on benches in the back. The women and children sat on the dirt floor in the front. That's kind of the way they do things there. And um, so I taught for a while. And when I got done, uh, we took another picture. Let's go out. And we took this group picture and, and they prayed for me. And then I'm walking across the field and it suddenly dawned on me, you know, they didn't ask me for anything. You know, look at this church. And they didn't ask me to do anything. And that's just very unusual. I'm an American missionary. Everywhere I go, people got their hands out. They always want something. And I just get used to that. But they didn't ask. That was something very unusual. And the Lord spoke to me and said, let's build them a church. I said, yes, let's do it, Lord. Let's build them a church. So I came home. I wrote a little bit about it in my newsletter and put the pictures in. And, and we raised the money to build them a church. Let's go ahead. Next slide. This is the inside of the church. And look how their numbers already increased. Okay, next slide. The church is growing, and the people that are coming to Christ are Muslims that have come to faith in Christ. And now we've got a CTC graduate who's getting ready to go and be the pastor of this church. And it's exciting to see what God's doing. And so this was the first step, and really it was God working on me because of what he had planned already to do that I didn't know anything about. The next thing Stephen asked me to do is, Rev C, would you be willing to go into the bush and preach to a group of Muslims? I said, you know, I've never done anything like that. And I said, yeah, I guess so. I said, God wants me to go do it. I'll go do it. And so we're, we're driving out there. And I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to share? I know I've never talked to Muslims before. I didn't know, you know, if there'd be anybody there or not. Well, I don't have the pictures of it here, but there was a big group of people. And many of them had walked all morning to get there. And um, so I shared for about an hour. I started in Genesis, went clear through the book of Revelation. Shared for about an hour. I just told them all the highlights, told them why Jesus came, why he needed to come, what the sacrifice in the Old Testament was all about, why God created us to start with, and what he had planned for our future. Rolled it all up in a nice package and then gave an altar call and 83 people stood to receive Christ as their Savior. I mean, it was great. You know, crap, just God did a mar marvelous work, you know. And gave me confidence, you know, that yes, you know, God did use me to speak to Muslims. That's great. So I went back last year and some of those church people were there. The, the time that I went the first time was Friday, Muslim Holy Day. And the time that I was there preaching was the time they were all supposed to be in the mosque. Nobody left. The mosque was empty. A church was birthed that day. And the young pastor, his name's Pastor Paul. We're helping him build a church this year. But the reason I'm sharing all that is because th when that happened, then God spoke to me and said, look, I want you to help build nine churches. And I said, Lord, I, I don't do churches. You know, one here, I've built a couple in the Philippines, but it's not our focus. Bible school is our focus. Training laborers, thrusting forth laborers into the harvest. I pray the Lord of the harvest would use me to thrust forth laborers. That's my focus. God says, no, I want you to do this. Now, I knew five of those were supposed to be in the Philippines. The other four he wanted done in Africa. Three in Malawi and one in Mozambique. And I knew where they were supposed to go. And I said, all right, Lord, if you want to do this, that's fine. 
but you're going to have to do it. Because if I'm going to raise $90,000 right now, I need to raise the money for the training center. And I said, so you're going to have to bring this in because I just do not want the stress, to be honest. You know, it's stressful enough trying to keep funds, funds going for 1,400 students instead of, you know, building nine churches. So anyway, I put it in God's hands. Now, I had been to a prayer seminar where I had learned uh, what I've been teaching you today. It was a prayer seminar done by Dutch Sheets. And if you get a chance to go hear Dutch Sheets preach, you need to go hear him preach. And especially if he talks about intercessory prayer. What I shared with you was just a little bit of a portion of what he shared in that seminar, which was, I think, six or seven sessions that I went to. But it was, it was fantastic. And um, so anyway, I told God, I'm going to release you, God, to do this. And I'm just going to believe you to do it. But you're going to be the one to do it. I will administrate the funds if you bring them in. And that was my agreement with God, and that's how we set out to do it. So I want to tell you now, here's what God did. Now, I want you to keep reminded, every day, I'm releasing God to have his will in building these churches and to bring the funds in. I started in July. Now, you don't need to write this down. Just listen. July 25th, $4,000 came in from three people. August, another $1,500 came in. In September, $897 came in. But Pastor Nick Panico, I don't think many of you know him, he's a pastor of New Hope Church in Palm Harbor, Florida. He calls me and he says, Rev C, he says, I think it's time for our church to help build a church. And Nick's only got about 100 people. I said, you sure? That's $10,000. He says, yeah. He says, I think we need to do it. He says, I think we can do it. I said, I'm going to release you, Nick, to do it. And I'm going to release God to provide the finances. He says, okay, let's pray. So we did. Two weeks later, he calls and says, Rev C, we've raised more than enough for one church. We're going to start on a second church. I said, really? <laughs> he says, yes. I said, man, that's great. Go for it. So he starts raising money for a second church. In October, my brother retired from floor decor and sent me an, uh, a letter in the mail and there was a check for $5,000 and it says, I want to help build a church. I thought, wow, my brother's never done anything like this before. <laughs> in fact, he'd never been in church because floor decor, he worked on Sundays. And uh, him and his wife, after he retired, his wife said, let's find a church. And so they did. Got involved in a little church and God touched his heart. He, now he wanted to help build a church. So two days later, he calls me and says, I put another letter in the mail. Call me when you get it. I said, okay. So a couple days later, the letter comes, another check for $5,000. He said, yeah. I said, God spoke to me. He said, just decide to build a church. <laughs> I said, that's great. So $12,000 came in that month. The next month, November, $5,763 came in from four different people. In December, Pastor Nick Panico calls me and he says, Rev, see a miracle of giving is taking place in my church. He says, I've never seen anything like this before. He says, we've started on our third church. He says, if you can give me till the 30th, until New Year's Eve, he says, if you can give me till New Year's Eve, I'm going to have a New Year's Eve service. And if you'll come, I'll present you a check for $30,000. I said, you go for it. I'm going to be there. <laughs> and so then the next thing that happened is I get a Christmas card. I open the Christmas card up and there's a check inside of it for $10,000 from a lady who's given me about $100 a month for several months. She hadn't been supporting me that long, but she'd been supporting me personally for about $100 a month. And she sent a check for $10,000. I knew who she was, and I had her email address. So I sent her an email. I said, Peggy, do you realize 
that with the money Pastor Nick has pledged and the other monies that have come in, we are now $21,500 short of having the $90,000 goal met. And this is in December. The very next day, she emails me back, and this is her email. Rev C, I can give you another $5,500 in January. I can give you another $6,000 in February. And I can give you another $10,000 in March. That's $21,500, folks. And she's paid it all. And then some other money came in. So we have been over $90,000. And I've had no stress, no worry. God did every bit of it by touching people's hearts and meeting what he said he wanted to do. All I did was release him to do it. And just so you don't think that's a fluke, I'll be 70 years old June 26th. My wife is a young girl. She's 30, she'll be 39 in July. I met her on a short-term missions trip in Ecuador. We've been married five years as of May the 11th, this last, last May. This is May, isn't it? <laughs> the 11th of this month, we were five years in our marriage. She'd never been out of Ecuador, didn't speak any English when I met her. I didn't speak any Spanish, still don't speak any Spanish. <laughs> But uh, we met, and God did a real work in our hearts. I'd been divorced for four years. Um, My wife had gotten involved with a little boyfriend from high school in California who decided it was uh, his wife had died, and he was interested in her, and got her her email address, started emailing her, and convinced her that life was better in California than it was in Florida. So she decided she was going to pack up and leave. I was planning our 40th anniversary trip to Israel. We'd never been there. We were two months shy of our 40th anniversary. And, uh, but she decided to leave and there wasn't anything I could do about it. I tried everything I could think of, but finally God spoke to me and said, you bless her and let her go. I said, all right. So I did. She left and uh, marriage lasted less than two years. She's now single again and lives Well, when she moved back, she was only about five miles from me. We still have a good relationship. That was another thing the Lord spoke to me. He says, you keep this relationship healthy. And I did. No animosity, no ill feelings. You know, it it hurt, about killed me. Uh, I went through three serious sinus infections that year. Um, Had a kidney kidney stone, nine millimeter kidney stone. Doctor says, you could shoot this out of a gun. (laughs) And, uh, but God used it for good. When they went in to blast the kidney stone, he checked my bladder and found a cancerous tumor and burned it out. And I thank God for that nine millimeter kidney stone. You know, God sends something your way and it looks like it's bad news. You just be careful what you pray. God may be using it for good in your life. You never know for sure. So anyway, um, I shared all that so that you understand what took place. The, the thing with my marrying Vicki, when I first looked at her, God just did a work in my heart. I wasn't looking to get married. In fact, I decided I wasn't going to marry again. I had my ministry to, to put myself into, and, you know, I was really, I was hurt after what had happened. The, the feeling of betrayal is, is probably the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life, uh, because I trusted her implicitly. And when I found out, you know, what was really going on, um, 
I asked her how long it had been going on. She said a year and a half. And I just couldn't fathom that. How, how could she keep it a secret from me for a year and a half? And she was born-again Christian. I put her through three degrees. She was a licensed marriage and family counselor. And uh, had a private practice in our own home. So, you know, I, I just couldn't, it was hard to get my mind around what was going on. And I, I knew the devil was trying to destroy me and destroy the work. I begged her not to do it just for the sake of the work, if nothing else, for the testimony that would be lost. But again, she went on, did her thing. I decided I wasn't going to remarry until I was on that short-term trip. I was leading the team through the immigration and customs and opened the door, and there's this beautiful, big, brown-eyed young girl standing there with a big smile on her face. I had met her once before because I'd worked with her family, and all of a sudden, my heart is... I'm going, what is this <laughs> all about, you know? And it, it was just, boom. It was just like God did something in me and made me receptive. And I, I look at her, and I said, Lord, what are you doing? She's so young. She's too young. And, uh, but during that week, God just did a work in my heart and in her heart. And by the end of the week, we had decided that we wanted to share email addresses and communicate. She was a single mother. She had, uh, her mom and dad were pastors of a church. She'd gone to college, got involved with a non-believer. She got pregnant. She was away from the Lord at the time, had her daughter, realized she made a huge mistake in her life. The man didn't want anything to do with the child, so she went back to her mom and dad, got her life right with the Lord, and quit college so that she could get a job and, and pay for the raising of her child. And uh, so when I met her, Sarah was... Um, at this time, first time that I met her, Sarah was like three years, four years old. When I met her again, Sarah was like 10 years old or nine years old. And uh, so anyway, God did a work in our lives. And so we exchanged email addresses and used Google Translate to communicate with each other. Thank you, God, for Google Translate, <laughs> you know. And uh, so after we really kind of got serious, <clears throat> you know, then I said, you know, if we're really going to do this, then I need to come and meet your family. So I went and lived with her mom and dad for six weeks and got a chance for them to get to know me and me get to know them. And during that time, we decided, yes, we wanted to get married. And uh, so uh, we asked for their blessing and they gave it to us. Vicki and Sarah came to the United States legally and um, we got married the week that they came uh, because her, her brother, no, her sister and brother-in-law and their three kids came with her because Vicky and Sarah had never been out of, the United, out of Ecuador. And it was their first time to go anywhere. So they'd never flown anywhere or anything like that. So it was a big deal for them to come to the United States and a big step of faith. When you think about it, you go to the grocery store and you can't read anything. You don't know anything that's there. You know, it's just, it's a big step. So they came and uh, I had, had Vicky pick out her wedding dress. It was ordered uh, to her size from China. And it was hanging on the bedpost in our house when, when she got there. And she went in and put it on, and it fit her. Said, she said it fit perfectly, so we were ready to go. So we had a wedding that next weekend. Wow. And uh, then her, her family had to go back to Ecuador. So um, she was legal in the States. Now I understand why people walk across the border. Our, when you try to bring someone legally in the United States, it is a huge hassle. And even getting, you know, we've been married five years now. After you're here three years, you can apply for citizenship. 
which we did right away. Vicki's still waiting on her interview to become a citizen. Two years later, still hasn't happened yet. Senator, Senator Rubio, Senator, my senator in Florida, he knows me by name because I write him so often <laughs> and let him know just how crappy the immigration system really is <laughs> and how messed up it is. So anyway, it, that's what's been going on. So we've been waiting. But in the meantime, Vicki wanted to have another child. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, I've raised two daughters. I'm now raising Sarah. I could take it or leave it, you know, especially at my age. But I love her. I want to give her anything that she wants if I can give it to her. So I said, all right, let's try. And so we did. And she had a miscarriage. And so I kind of tabled it and said, you know, well, let's wait and see what goes. And uh, she came back to me again. She said, I want to try one more time. I said, all right. I said, the problem, part of the problem was I take testosterone. I don't, my body doesn't produce enough, so I have to inject myself. And I inject myself every now and then, but testosterone kills your sperm. So it's kind of hard to have a baby if your sperm's dying. And so I had myself tested, and there was no living sperm. So I asked my doctor, can I go off of this for a while? And he said, yes. So I went off of it in the um, middle of April of last year. And I told Vicki I would stay off of it until February of 18, when I had another appointment with my urologist. And so at Christmas time, she still wasn't pregnant. So she came to me, and she says, I think we need to fast and pray. And I said, all right. So we fasted, and we prayed, and we released God to have his way in this situation. And she's now 20 weeks pregnant. And after we knew she was pregnant, we didn't say anything to anybody for quite a while because she'd had a miscarriage, and we wanted to make sure she carried it far enough that we were pretty sure it was going to stay. So when we finally got close enough, um, I figured out that if God's going to give me a child at 70 years of age, then it must be a son, because I don't have one. And it must be a son who will someday carry on my ministry, which is something that I truly desire to see happen. And Daniel Joseph Christensen will be born on September 26th, if everything goes right. So I appreciate if you'd be praying for us, that's another miracle of God's release in our lives. God wants to do this in your life, if you'll just let him. Now, I don't have time. My time is up. So I want to just share one quick thing, and that is this. There is a group of 40 pastors in Malawi that have had no Bible schooling. And I came today to challenge you to release finances from God into your hands so that you can be a blessing and help me train these 40 pastors. It costs me about $600 as an average to train a pastor somewhere in the world. When you think about it, I don't know anywhere where you can go and get a pastor trained for $600. But we can. Because we don't charge for the curriculum. We allow the pastors to give, the, the students to give something because we know if they don't invest something, they don't appreciate it or value it. So we let them bring a bag of corn or a goat or whatever they have that they can invest in themselves and in their training. And then we tell them, look, you go out and do something with this curriculum. You train others or you pioneer a church or you do something. And that's what they do. 
the young man that discovered the 40 pastors that need to be training was a graduate of our training center who just wrote us a couple months ago and said he now has 26 students who are ready to graduate from the CTC program this summer. I didn't even know about it until a couple months ago. And they're ready to graduate. And one of the students is the person who found these 40 pastors, and now he wants to go as a graduate and train them with the CTC program. But we, he needs help to do that. And you can be a part of that. So let me pray, and then Jeff's going to come. Father, I ask that you would bless these people, that you would release finances into their hands, that you would give them what is best for them and in their situation. And I pray, Lord, that you would touch their hearts to be a blessing. Bless us, Lord, that we can be a blessing to your kingdom. And we pray that you would use us to thrust forth labors into the harvest. In Jesus' name do I ask it. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you.